0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons, and I believe this should stop. And hence, I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold: first, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so the guest of my podcast today is christine tau co-founder and ceo at sounding board
1: i spend less and less of my time operationally working in the company and i have to spend more of my time working on the company and thinking a lot further out And that really is where the storytelling, the vision is so important because the further out you go, the less clear it is what it is and how you're supposed to do that. So being able to paint a vision of where you want to get to so other people can actually interpret that and actually make it better and find their own ways of getting there, which is one of the other really satisfying things of being a founder, that really has become a really core part of my job.
0: This is Christine. Throughout her career, a central theme for her has always been leadership development. She uncovered the power coaching could have on people when she acted in her role as Senior Vice President of Developer Relations at TopJoy, a mobile advertising platform. She led the growth for TopJoy's network business from zero to more than 100 million in revenue in less than three years. She experienced the power of leadership development from the other end when she advised several venture-backed startups, including Flyby Media later acquired by Apple, Immersive, and Comprendi. She realized firsthand that today's workforce is increasingly overwhelmed and stressed with increasing responsibilities and an always-on culture. This inspired her to do something about it. Today, Christine is the CEO and co-founder for Sounding Board, a company that was founded around a vision to make coaching accessible to leaders at all levels of the organization and break through the high-cost barriers that made it impossible in the past. Its mission? Develop the world's most impactful leaders. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Christine to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the world of leadership coaching, and how this, by blending technology and people in the right way, can be a thing of the past. Christine further shares her big lessons learned during the pandemic, and how she and her team not only secured the sounding board would survive, but actually come out stronger as a company as a whole. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that the question in a pandemic is not where should we cut, but where can we continue to invest? Secondly, how to create an organization that's aligned and autonomous, and at the same time, more creative and powerful. Thirdly, that the way to survive an existential crisis is not to increase focus on your own company, but on that of your customers. And fourthly, why being bootstrapped and being less well capitalized than your competitors can be very helpful. Well, hi Christine. Thank you for making the time available today and being a guest on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Yeah, I got introduced to you through someone that I actually met on Lunch Club, which is seemed to be an interesting platform to get in touch with interesting people. So we talked a little bit before this. I got interested into what your company is doing, sounding board. I think it's a very, it's a very interesting example of how a company that initially was really service-based and moves into the technology sector and actually becomes more of a software company. I see that more and more. Yeah. I mean, and what you're doing is really related to like what's the core of this podcast, enabling, well, bridging the gap between technology and people in order to help people do things they've never been able to do before. But before we start talking about your company. A little bit about you if you would have to describe yourself in two or three words what characterizes you
1: wow so only two or three words <laughs> i would say ambitious i would say curious and i would say you know creative i'd probably say those three things
0: very nice yeah and excellent traits to have as an entrepreneur the curious one <laughs> It's actually a trait that I describe in my book as something that actually the whole company needs to be curious and keep asking questions to get deeper to what the real problem is. But it's a very good thing to master because that's where it all starts, right? Where the opportunities come up.
1: I've always just felt, you know, even in my own career, you know, it's at kind of that point when you feel like you aren't learning is usually the point that I get bored. So the good thing is there's always something to learn when you're building a company.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, let's talk about that. You started Sounding Boards, I think what I saw on LinkedIn was 2016. And like, what was the big idea behind this? What sparked it?
1: Yeah, well, the inspiration for Sounding Board really was born out of my own personal experience in working with a coach. So I'm based in the Bay Area in California and have spent most of my career working in tech. And it was at the previous startup I was at that I got Coach for the first time. I was employee 30, and we were lucky in that the company hit sort of struck gold. You know, we were in the mobile platform and building and helping monetize apps as the Apple platform and Android platforms opened up. And so the company scaled to $100 million in revenue in a very short time less than three years. And what happened was I got promoted up into our executive management team and i was one of two execs who had never done that job before and so our ceo and our board gave me a coach to work with and really it was one of the most profound experiences i had ever had not only professionally but also personally you know and i ended up bringing coaching in for my entire team and what i saw happen was that i was able to build a team that was you know higher engagement lower attrition all of those great employee engagement stats you always want to be able to talk about. And I really credited that with investing early in their development. And so that experience just stayed with me as I left that organization, as I thought about what to do next, you know, seeing that coaching was one of the most profound developmental experiences I've been through. I just really felt like there was an opportunity to be able to bring that down into an organization Earlier in a career when I had really felt like I had needed it most myself, and to do that by putting technology at the forefront of it. And so that's really how Sounding Board got born. And the fun part of the story is that my co-founder is my coach. And so Lori joined me and brought all of her 25 years of expertise as a public and private company CEO coach, and really has been the heart and soul of embedding that Practice into our methodology and our approach to coaching, which really focuses on leadership development and helping companies create their most impactful leaders. So it's been an exciting journey. We are yeah. a female-founded yeah. company. And when I started, I remember investors asking me if this was a lifestyle business. And you know, now the company's raised almost $50 million today. And We have a lot of investors telling us that they think the market opportunity around this is huge. And so it's been also just an incredible journey for me personally as a first-time founder.
0: I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I can completely agree with you on the experience of coaching and that it can be life-changing as it did for you. I mean, the coaching at the end has always been a profession that people do. And it's really like a person-to-person thing. Where does the technology part come in? I mean, what did you see or what was the problem that you saw in the market that required the technology aspect?
1: Yeah, well, you're right. You know, sort of the beauty of coaching is that it's highly personalized, right? That it's this completely customized experience where I could literally bring a different challenge or skill that I wanted to work on with my coach into every session and have that be highly relevant to whatever business challenge that I was facing in my job. But I think that it's all sort of the same side of the coin. That's also the challenge in why it was something that was really only adopted at the highest levels. When you have something like that, then, you know, the cost to deliver that is high, right, which meant that it really was only available to a very small portion of the population. And primarily coaching was something that, was a sort of confidential experience. You know, really, the company would make a decision because they knew the model was impactful. But because it was expensive, it really meant they were only going to be doing it for their highest level executives. And because it was your president or your C-suite, you weren't questioning whether or not that investment was worth it. That person probably touched, you know, hundreds of other leaders. And so... The challenge really was that there was a real lack of transparency and even understanding the impact of it, um, challenges to manage it at scale, a lot of the things that technology is actually really uniquely positioned to solve. And so for us, we felt like, you know, one, not could you only use technology to be able to deploy it so it didn't have to be an in-person model. Uh-huh. You can use technology to bring context to it, to make it more effective, to make it more integrated into an, an organization's business strategy, to be able to use it, to be able to better measure and understand the impact of coaching. And that's important for companies when you think about doing something at scale, where now instead of only touching a handful of leaders, you might be touching hundreds or even thousands of leaders and I think there's very few businesses today that can justify that level of investment without having some data to be able to understand the impact of that. And so I think that's uniquely where technology really is an enabling you know, platform to be able to bring something that wasn't able to be done before.
0: Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, you're completely right. Typically, the coaching has always got a sort of a premium connotation to that that it's indeed only available for top leaders and there's a cost to it. And I also, I think, agree with you. I don't think I agree with you. I do agree with you that it's that you don't question that. And I think that's good to do it. So what did you create then in the years following, 2016 up to now? What is the platform about?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it seems crazy that, now, you know, given how you and I engage and all of this engage today, which is a completely virtual format, the first hypothesis really was whether people would even engage in a format like this virtually. So, the first thing we had to build actually was just digitization of that experience. So, thinking about How do you create a profile? How do you get matched to a coach when you don't get to meet them in person and assess whether that person's a good fit for your leader? How do you schedule? How do you connect? You know, is it via phone, audio, video? All of the things that today seem like table stakes for any sort of communication or relationship that you build online, that really was the first piece. The second piece then was... Some of these collaboration tools for us at Sounding Board, we think of success, not just that the leader, you know, got something out of that experience. For us, we think that we're successful if the organization as well really understands and sees the impact of that leadership leader, having gotten that developmental experience. And so for us, we've built quite a number of tools to be able to engage stakeholders beyond the leader that we're coaching in the process. It could be somebody's manager, it could be a peer, but all of this feedback and data is really something that drives a richer experience and a more impactful outcomes, really, for the coaching. But traditionally, it was really hard to do. There's a lot of manual spreadsheets and documents and phone calls just to be able to gather that and now we have that all automated. And then the last piece is related to that measurement piece. You know, we have a very specific capability structure and model that underpins our platform that allows us to capture and assess your development of your skills and also progress against your goals as you work with your coach. And we're able to distill that at an organizational level and allow our customers to understand that at scale across everyone participating and even slice and dice that data in really powerful ways for them to really start to gain insights about the coaching in a way that they couldn't have done before.
0: Interesting, especially that last part that you mentioned. I mean, have you seen That this then has sort of lowered the barrier for organizations to bet on coaching rather than, yeah, the traditional training that people get. Because, I mean, I think the personal aspect of it, the personal challenging is uh, the reflection that you get from is indeed fantastic. But has that technology element brought things together for organizations to say, hey, we're lowering the barriers for a good number of layers?
1: Yeah, if you think about just what's the power of data, the power of data is really better understanding and then ideally being able to trust that and you leverage that data to drive more efficient application, right? And so what we put out a sort of state of the leadership industry in a coaching report last year. And one of the biggest factors that was keeping organizations from deploying coaching more broadly was the lack of data and understanding about its impact. And so that really is where technology has helped them understand the impact and to do that at a scale that has then now increased demand for coaching in the organization. Because you know, if you think about anything that you do today. Any decisions that you're making to influence business strategy, what's often the first question you get asked is well, where's the data that tells me this is the right decision or recommendation? Right. So it's absolutely an enabler and has unlocked the model, I think, for a lot of organizations where you innately knew the power and you knew that it worked. Right. If you've experienced coaching and like I have or like you have, you know that it's one of the most impactful models. I think organizations were just really struggling with how to be able to translate that into a business strategy that they could sort of evangelize more broadly across the org.
0: Yeah you definitely turn into a technology company from that. But I'm always interested to understand like the journey that you took there becoming a technology company. And what has been the most important decision that you've taken on that journey if you look back at it right now?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate this question because we are at the beginning stages of bringing our SaaS platform to market. And what people don't often realize is that This is something that has been years in development from idea through strategy, through execution, product development, and now, you know, go to market. And I think one of the things that I really learned was, I can tell the story, actually, which is, one, we always pay a lot of attention to signals. And for any startup, where are the most important signals? your customers, your users, the market, and the trends. And so actually at the start of the pandemic, as we sort of looked at our business, we took the time to step back and say, really, where do we think this market is going in a few years? What have we been hearing from our customers that they need and the problems and the pain that they're experiencing around coaching? And then how do you triangulate that against what we believe what we're uniquely good at and do well to form a strategy, right? I'm sure there's lots of business books that sort of explain how you can do that in a cohesive way. You know, what we did was we had seen so much feedback from our customers that were buying digital coaching from us that as much as they love the power of us having a network of coaches and the technology to deliver that solution end-to-end, that for a lot of them, they were not always going to buy that solution from an only one vendor. So there was that. The second was that they also had a lot of internal employees, internal coaches, or external vendors that they were utilizing that they wanted to continue to use because every leader and at every level, the coaching experiences that they were trying to deliver were actually customized to those leaders' needs. And so what we learned really was that the thing they were really missing was enabling technology to allow them to do that. We had customers that were managing, you know, programs on spreadsheets. Some had even tried to build their own technology. Some had tried to retrofit technology that was meant for other use cases into that. And we realized that you know we'd actually invested a fair amount of our own dollars to be able to build technology we were utilizing to develop and deliver our own coaching. And with additional investment, there was a real opportunity to expose and give that same software to our customers and how powerful that could be for them to be able to have that in one place. And so that really was, I think, one of the most important things that we did, which was, it's very hard when you're a startup because So much of a startup's focus is on trying to maintain, you know, trying to prevent an existential crisis. Don't run out of money. Make sure that you are, you know, continuing to grow and scale. And so it can often force your thinking as a founder to really only be thinking short-term. And from a model of, you know, don't die, right? I think probably you've heard that a lot from, you know, other accelerators. But the best decision I think we made is, the more that you can pull back, balance some of that short term operational execution with longer term strategy, distilling some of these insights that you get from your customers to get clear on what your vision is and then set that and follow it. That was probably one of the most important things that we did. And then you've got to stay committed, right? So, and execute towards that. And it sounds easy when you read about it, very hard to execute.
0: Let me make a small interruption here. Christine just made an excellent remark about what has helped Sounding Board to become a stronger company while they were going through the crisis. The realization that staying focused on their customers and realizing their long term vision was critical to survive. It's a typical trade remarkable software companies master. They focus on the essence and realize that offering something that's valuable and desirable is what it's all about in good times and bad times. You can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book. I've made an electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark within the first 10 minutes. Back to the interview.
1: Lori, my co-founder and I often say, you know, we work really hard, but I think we're also a little bit lucky in that we've, Generally, 80% have been able to make and been lucky to make some of the right decisions and then stay committed to that perspective to execute through it. And, you know, here we are still at the early stages, but it's been exciting.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really like this example because you go in and you're a coaching company. And at some point, technology becomes part of it but you still see yourself as the coaching company that is, and you got sort of a, yeah, a level of differentiation because of the technology that you deliver with that main service. And suddenly you kind of yeah, cut it in half there and say, wait a minute, the opportunity is not with us being a coaching company, but by enabling all our customers to just leverage coaching in a completely different way. Very interesting model. And it's super hard to kind of to break the line there because yeah, it's almost taking the foundation away. But it's like really, yeah, what you're saying is stepping away, seeing the bigger picture and seeing where the opportunity and the real pain point is really at. Smart, smart. What have been the hardest not to crack on that journey?
1: You know, I think for every startup, especially early on, you're always limited by resources. And so focus is always one of the biggest questions. How do you relentlessly prioritize where you're going to arm your limited resources against Mm -hmm. and what's the likelihood of you being able to be successful doing that? And so I remember actually when we started to formulate this strategy and I was engaging with a few of my investors, I had some of them point blank tell me this is a wrong decision, you know, and the biggest concern they had, which was completely fair was divided focus as a team and divided resources. And so I think The learning, and we're still, you know, in this journey now, I'm certainly not declaring victory yet. But I think the thing that you have to keep continuing to come back to is, you know, what are you learning as you're engaging with your customers? And what are you learning as you start to see where the market is going? And then you do have to take some risks where, you know, it looked very fuzzy then when we make this decision. But you know, as we continue to build against it, we also continue to stay close to the market and see, you know, are we continuing to get the feedback that this is the right direction? Mm. And I think we saw enough of those signals to keep going. (laughs) And, you know, I think it is one of these things where, you know, as a founder, you have to, what I've learned is that the more that you can build conviction in your ideas and be able to communicate that out to the market, Oftentimes, that becomes one of the most important things that you have to do as a founder is maintain that conviction as you execute through a lot of inevitable ups and downs.
0: Yeah, I understand that. Well, does it mean that you've paid quite a bit of attention to really clarifying your vision? Like, what is the change that you tried to create in the market?
1: Yeah, I think, and that's funny, because I remember, you know, before I started sounding Board, I was an executive, and I'd operated and built you know, some very high scale, fast growth businesses, whether it's at YouTube and online video or in mobile and mobile apps. And you read a lot and you Google a lot about, you know, what's an executive's job, what's a CEO's job. And I always found these articles that talked about, you know, a CEO has to be a storyteller and a CEO has to build a vision. And then you saw all of these examples of, you know, Steve Jobs, at that time, Mark Zuckerberg, because Facebook was exploding. And it always felt like, sure, I understand why that's important, but I didn't really fully understand that because it felt like, well, you also just have to be able to execute. I was always very executionally focused as an operator and executive. And so... What The big shift I learned when I became a founder and a CEO, now I deeply understand why that is something you read about all the time, the power of storytelling, the power of having a clear vision, because especially as your company grows, you are doing less and less of the work. Today, I am very fortunate, which is very different than a few years ago, that I've got an amazing leadership team around me. They have hired amazing people on their team as well. And so I spend less and less of my time operationally working in the company. And I have to spend more of my time working on the company and thinking a lot further out. And that really is where the storytelling, the vision is so important. Because the further out you go, the less clear it is what it is and how you're supposed to do that. So being able to paint a vision of where you want to get to. So other people can actually interpret that and actually make it better and find their own ways of getting there, which is one of the other really satisfying things of being a founder. That really has become a really core part of my job. And so we take it and I take it so much more seriously than I had done before when I hadn't really had this role as a founder and CEO.
0: Yeah. Now you make a very strong point about the fact that the vision should only be something that you write on the wall and then kind of leave it. I mean, the vision at the end is a point in the future where something has changed to the benefit of, well, everybody or for a particular group, but what you also made a very clean point on is, but then you need to kind of connect all the dots to how do you get there and how do you measure that you're making progress on the vision, which is really operationalizing it and making it tangible for everybody in the company to understand, okay, this is where we're going. This is how I make decisions. And. Yeah, that you don't have to handhold everybody because that's also, of course, an issue. That the company is growing and you cannot handle everybody again. Okay. No,
1: and it's not, and you can't scale to the next level if you're doing that, right? And it's been such an interesting learning process for me because it's not something, to be honest, that I felt came very naturally to me, mm-hmm. and so I really had to think about, you know, well. What would you want to know when you, Christine, were you know just executing at a level that could help you better make these decisions? And what's the way to actually say that in a way that people remember yeah, <laughs> and sticks? True. And how do you actually integrate that into the operational cadence of the company, not just one statement that gets repeated, but it yeah. actually is, like you said, operationalizing that. And so... You know, internal comms has actually really dramatically increased in terms of the amount of time I spend on it, particularly in a remote environment, because we've just learned it's one of the most critical things that you need to do as any leader, and to be honest, at every level.
0: Yeah, that's true. And particularly now that the world is really the remote first, that art of communication, internal communication is really exploded. as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors, Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy Hold Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Have you ever got a point where you were stuck Oh,
1: so many times? (laughs) I mean, Both from a company perspective, personally, you know, it's, we've been at this now for, you know, five plus years and there's life cycles to a company. There's, you know, life cycles to an employee, you know, and even as a founder, I think the thing that has been so important and a lifeline for me is, you know, I have an amazing co-founder, my co-founder, Lori. Who actually was my coach. And look, we're very different. We probably drive each other crazy about 50% of the time. But being able to have somebody that you're really truly partnering with to build a business where the good thing for us is if you asked us how to do something, Lori and I most likely would give you sometimes opposing answers around how. But if you answered what we're trying to accomplish and where we wanna go, 80% of the time, We're almost exactly aligned. And so what I found is that as long as we can stay open in our communication, work on our relationship, that it's worked so well to be able to get you through those points in the company's life cycle when you feel like, oh my God, what are we going to do? You know, or myself, I've been feeling X, Y, or Z, or just tired, you know, (laughs) that you can really help kind of lift each other up.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that whole process, I mean, you, you started your company way before COVID, and then you said, Okay, during COVID, we started to kind of step back, look at how the market would be developing, where are we at our strongest point, where can we add the biggest difference to our customers. Well, I'm currently writing my second book, which is about a remarkably resilient companies, and typically it's answering the question, How do you not only yeah, bounce back from adversity, but actually become a stronger company altogether. And has that applied to you? Have you got a feeling that you came stronger out of COVID?
1: Absolutely. And I think it comes from, you know, one, Lori is a just a very grounded person. And that has really helped through the inevitable ups and downs in an organization. Look, when COVID hit, we had like, you know, a very scary moment because We primarily sell into the people office, the head of HR, L and D, where if you think about what function in a business probably had to 10x their workload during the pandemic, that's probably one of the most impacted functions in thinking about how you're just dealing and managing an organization shift. And so we really had this worry that our business was going to have be negatively impacted. And certainly we did see an initial pullback because they just had a lot bigger problems they had to deal with initially. But I think we always then tried to come back to this idea of challenge also brings opportunity. And you have to actually really, as a founder, think about that and believe that and focus on finding the opportunity in the challenges and then execute as quickly as you can towards those. It doesn't mean you're just opportunistic though, right? So you're not chasing after everything. It's then that other step I had said, right? How does that align to your strategy, what you're doing, where you want to go? And so I think it was partly just really trying to anchor ourselves in that. Also, when you know the world is changing and you're freaking out, you have to find ways to ground yourself so you don't freak out along with it, right? And so sometimes having some of these beliefs and philosophies were really helpful for us even just personally right to say look there has to be opportunity here we've just got to make sure we're looking for that and i apologize i think i've got like vacuums and you know lawn blowers and things going on in the back but hopefully the audio is still okay
0: that's okay yeah but what's your biggest takeaway from this period that made you stronger
1: i think it's that it comes back to your question around the vision which is You know, these really are opportunities for you. And we had to crystallize it because we were concerned out of the amount of resources we might have available to us, right? So for us, it meant if you might have less resources and potentially a slowdown in the business, that means the decisions we make, we've got to feel more confident that those are the right decisions and less reactive and more proactive. So it was kind of out of this like scarcity comes focus. And I think that really was one of the biggest learnings is that, you know, even for us, I bootstrapped the company to start. We're traditionally and historically less well-capitalized than some of our competitors. Mm -hmm. I think that has been something that has been helpful to us to a certain extent, right? Which is the having less resources mean you have to be more focused. And that means you have to be more intentional about the things that you do and why you do them.
0: Funny, huh? yeah. Yeah. That the moment you got more resources, that there's abundance of money and resources, that you're less yeah, focused on whether they're doing the right things. Because there's enough, well, between air quotes at the end. Interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think timing is important, right? Now, it's if you have too many resources when you don't yet clearly understand what your advantages are and where you're going, that's a really dangerous place to be. But what you really wanna make sure is that you're capitalized at the right time. Right now, you know, we just closed a round of funding, but we have a very clear idea of what we're gonna do with that, why we're doing that and how we wanna execute against that. And to me, it was the right timing, as frustrating for us as it might've been earlier on in our company's life cycle to feel like you didn't have the right resources. Uh-huh. You know, you always look back and think, you know, well, it probably was the right timing.
0: <laughs> and why was it the right timing right now? Because you're more prepared? Because things were more in place?
1: I think it's both internal to us as well as external to the market, right? I've been lucky that in my prior career, I've been at companies where you've seen the market timing was the right timing. And when that happens, it's like a beautiful thing for businesses. Everybody gets an opportunity to grow. And there's almost no things you can do so wrong that you can't continue to scale and grow. And I really feel like right now between the move to remote work, virtual, the attention and macro trends that we are seeing in the learning space and the HR tech space that we operate in, all of it points to a need for technology first, more personalized models and a return to a focus on leader and the need for strong leadership. And so we've got amazing macro trends, really driving demand for what we're doing. And then I think internally, it was lining up the right strategy, investing those resources and building product that we think really could meet that market need. And so if those two things can happen at the same time, that's actually very rare. And so that I think is really exciting.
0: It is exciting indeed. That is this pull and push, right? In my book, it's about the journey that I made to this place in Portugal where they have the big wave surfing at Nazaré. And the story there is because the waves are so high there because there's multiple forces coming together for the canyon. And that is exactly what you're talking about here. There's multiple forces coming together at some point, and then it creates that peak and then you get your takeoff there. So That's really interesting. Let me see, because I'm just referring to my book, The Remarkable Effects. You've been an entrepreneur now for a couple of years. What do you believe are essential traits that you need to have in order to create a software business that people start talking about?
1: Well, so I'll sort of answer two ways. One, as a founder, what do I think are some of the really important things that have helped me through this journey? Certainly, You know, sort of resilience and the ability to really be able to ride the ups and downs and to continue to persist despite the setbacks. You know, I think that's one that, you know, especially as a female-founded company, I'd mentioned, you know, we have now raised almost $50 million to date. If you look at the stats in the market, less than 3% of venture capital goes to female-founded companies. So just being able to be part of that very sad statistic, which really, you know, is a passion of mine to continue to see how we change and impact and up level that conversation. It's meant that I've had to hear a lot of no's, you know, I've had to hear a lot of people not believe what we're doing, you know, not believe in myself or, you know, all of that. And I think. There is this balance of being able to say, hey, we're taking feedback, but that conviction, it kind of comes back to that conviction. So that's probably one of my biggest learnings as a founder. And then in terms of bringing something to market, what I really realized is that you have to stay focused on your customers and really helping empathize to their problems and the challenges that they're facing. And to have that translate in your marketing messages, how you engage with them through your sales teams, through your customer success. But so we have actually spent a lot of time now even continuing to update our messaging as we start to evolve our understanding of what pain and problems we're solving for our customers. And I think that being able to do that, to be able to identify who your right customer is. And also who is not, (laughs) you know, all of the things that, you know, way more about than myself, I'm not a traditional marketer, but that actually has been one of the functions I've really, really loved learning more about because it's this incredible blend of, you know, structure, process, science, theory, but also there is that creativity in it that I love. So that's been really fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the converted, but well said. It's (laughs) so important. And it's so easy to get that wrong or think that you are okay and right. But the market is so noisy and everybody's screaming that they have the best thing this and the best thing that and the leader here and so on. But how do you get through that noise? And that's only by really addressing the problem. And I always talk about it as getting under your skin People say, hey, wait a minute. It feels like you're in my head. (laughs) This is exactly how it feels. And yeah, and that's how you progress things forward. So thanks for sharing that. What have you been most proud of achieving so far with the business?
1: Wow. You know, I always share this story that one of the things that gives me a lot of joy and satisfaction really is the people that I've worked with and the team that we've built. And one of the things that, you know, just recently we're making a really big investment at Sounding Board around data and investing in, you know, getting access to the right data to help us drive more context in what we do, providing more data back to our customers so they understand the impact of that. And so we've hired a few folks that are really helping us to build that data strategy, the infrastructure, the technology. And I think what's been really satisfying is that literally, they are doing things that I hadn't thought of, you know, and I wouldn't have thought to take this approach or that approach. And I'm seeing that happen across my entire organization and team. And so that is a part that is, I don't know if it's proud, but it's immensely, immensely exciting and satisfying as a founder, particularly because in the early stages, it's like pushing a rock uphill, Right. If you stop pushing, you just actually roll backwards and you lose progress. And now what I see is that, you know, I have other people pushing similar. They've got their own hills that they're pushing rocks up for, but I don't actually have to do that. And oftentimes they're coming up with solutions that are so much more creative and more powerful and have impact beyond what I could have done on my own. And so that's been just really exciting to see.
0: I can understand that. yeah, I mean, I recently published episode two hundred of my podcast, and there were a couple of quotes that were in line with what you just said that like the role as as a CEO is kind of to let go of ego, yeah, to enable everybody to do their best possible thing. It's not your job to be right, but actually to help others to shine in what they what they can do. and you were just saying it's it's like they're starting to bring value to the company that you couldn't have thought of yourself. That's Where you're on the right track <laughs> because if everybody just listening and taking orders from you, it can only go so far, or you have to be super smart.
1: And I probably drive myself crazy in the process, right? Exactly,
0: yeah, yeah. That is possibly okay when you're still five people, but not when you're 50 or 100 or 200, whatever you know, it's, it's just it's not possible. If you would give any advice to other people that aspire to become a tech founder or to come well to to CEOs that want to kind of make the next move. What would be a do and what would possibly be a don't that you would share based on your own experience?
1: Yeah, I don't love making sort of broad proclamations, but there's a couple that I actually do really believe. And one I always say is as a do is just ask. Literally just ask for what you need. And The more you can do that in a clear way to be direct and unapologetic about the ask. I have seen so many doors open because I just asked and not been afraid to get a no. And so something small, something big, I always say, you know, the one thing I have no problems doing is asking for what I would like and seeing what happens. So that's one on a don't, I think one of the things that I've definitely learned is don't operate out of fear. And that's very, very hard to do as the founder because early on, everything feels like it could kill your company. This decision, if you do that, if you do that, there's a competitor, there's this. You know, it's so hard because you are in an environment where there really are things that could be sometimes fatal and have a big impact on your company but if you let yourself make decisions out of fear i've just found that that leads nowhere good and so being able to find that balance of being uncertain maybe being a little bit scared is okay and knowing not knowing what's going to happen but trying not to let that go to a fear-based place has been really critical for us in trying to make the right decisions for the company. Yeah.
0: Very well said. Thank you for sharing that. So if the audience could help you, I mean, you've been giving and giving and giving the <laughs> past 40 minutes or so. If there's anything you could ask them, how can they help you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is just, I would sort of encourage everyone to think about where you can continue to invest. You know, if there's founders out there or organizations out there that are listening, it oftentimes when you think about employee engagement or things that you have to buy in order to make your employees happy, people go towards things that seem shiny and fun and, you know, happy and easy, And I think I would just encourage folks to really sometimes think about some of the basics, you know, good leadership, making sure your leaders are actually equipped and have the skill set to be able to lead their teams effectively, to invest the time in developing them. Of course, that points to what we do at Sounding Board, but it's because it really is important and I think now more than ever, we're seeing that companies need their leaders to have mastery over their skills because there are less and less opportunities for you as an organization to actually be able to engage your employee base in an authentic, motivating, inspiring way. And we certainly believe at Sounding Board that the skills, those are skills and leadership skills, can be learned and developed. And so I'd really just ask people to think about that, you know, don't always go sort of fall back to what's shiny and new, but like, really, what are some of those fundamentals you can do for your org that can really uplevel the experience for all your employees?
0: Well said. Yeah, that's definitely a very good one to think about. I think it's also a good one to close this off with. Where can people go to find out more about Standing Board or to say hi to you?
1: Yeah. Well, Christine at soundingboardinc.com. I love hearing from other founders and, you know, try to spend a good amount of my time also sort of giving back to the founder community. And then certainly on our website, you can follow us on social media. We put out a lot of content on the subject of leadership development, the trends and changes that are happening in work, how companies can think about building more resilient cultures. And so certainly would love to put a plug out for my marketing team who I think are doing a really incredible job there.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for telling the story and the evolution of the company and yeah, how it's found is, is rooted into yeah, something potentially really, really big. Thanks for sharing yeah, the wisdom that you gained over time and a couple of the very inspiring anecdotes and good luck in the next episode of the journey.
1: Thank you so much. It's such a you know gift to be able to share some of our story and i am really enjoyed the conversation today.
0: And this ends my conversation with Christine. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on the mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Christine Tao, CEO and co-founder of Sounding Board. As said. The goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission, that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes, or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.
1: That's what